If you've been looking for a comprehensive Bible school curriculum that explores redemptive realities in Jesus Christ grounded in the Word of God, look no further. The goal of this podcast is to spread the life-transforming Word of God throughout the world for the equipping of the saints to do the work of the ministry and to build up the body of Christ in what Jesus has accomplished for us through His death, burial, resurrection, and seating at the right hand of God the Father. There's such an untapped potential for Christians to enter into their glorious inheritance in Jesus Christ. Together we will discover what Jesus has done for us by providing such a great salvation and how to appropriate the promises of God in our lives. Jesus said in John chapter 8 verse 31, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, and then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Each podcast season will cover one of the books that I have compiled over the years. You can find a complete listing of my Christian education material on my website at www.wordinspire.com. You're welcome to download these ebooks for free in PDF format for your own personal or ministry use. So let's explore these biblical truths and principles together that will absolutely transform our lives. God bless. Welcome to the Word of Life study series, The Authority of the Believer. In this third episode, we'll be diving right into the power and use of the name of Jesus. Acts chapter 4 verse 12, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. The Christian experience begins with calling on the person of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. The reality of the power in the name of Jesus continues to resonate throughout this life and for all eternity. Mankind and Miracles When reason takes the place of the miraculous, Christianity loses its vitality, fascination, and fruitfulness. Christianity is not a religion. It is the very life of God in man. There could not be a religion that would appeal to humanity that was not founded upon miracles and propagated by miracles. Man craves a miracle-working God today. Man wants a living God. He craves a miracle-working God. The deep-seated hunger in the human heart for God is the reason for all religions. If we take the supernatural out of Christianity, we have a religion. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Miracles operating through a person, whether true or false, will draw a greater congregation than the greatest philosopher or statesman in the world. This love for the miraculous is not a mark of ignorance, but rather an outreaching after the unseen God. Education does not eliminate the desire for the miraculous in man. That desire is intensified, and education unveils man's weakness in the presence of the laws of nature 
and shows him his utter dependence upon the unseen. The religion of humanism and secularism leaves people empty, confused, and hungry for the living bread and the water that only satisfies Jesus. It's not a mark of great scholarship, piety, or mental acuum to deny the miraculous. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17 For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs, and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's strength, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Mankind is easily deceived by pseudo-miracle workers because of this hunger after the supernatural. One of America's greatest psychologists, who ridiculed the miraculous for over 30 years in his classroom at one of the leading universities, finally sat at the feet of the high priestess of spiritism and confessed over his own signature in a popular magazine that at last he found faith in the supernatural. What a pitiful picture. Turning from the miracle-working Jesus to the miracle-working Satan. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising, then, if his servants masquerade as servants of righteousness. Their end will be what their actions deserve. God created man in his own image and in his own likeness, and through Jesus Christ allows him to be a partaker of his own nature. This lifts man into the realm of God, and in that realm the Father God can unveil himself to his child. The answer to the universal cravings of man for the supernatural is found in the new birth, being baptized with the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. We crave the manifest presence of the Spirit in our church services. A dry, dead meeting has no drawing power. However, a service where men and women are being richly blessed in the unfolding of the Scripture or the saving of souls, the healing of the sick, or the filling with the Spirit has a tremendous drawing power. An outpouring of the Spirit is a challenge to a community anytime. All normal men and women crave the supernatural. They long to see the manifestation of the power of God and to feel the thrill and the touch of the unseen. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom, as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my teaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith may not rest on man's wisdom, but on God's power. Man was created by a miracle-working God, so that miracle element is in mankind. 
Mankind yearns to perform miracles and to live in the atmosphere of the supernatural. This miracle ailment in mankind has made him an inventor, a discoverer, and an investigator. It has caused him to experiment until he has made achievements in various fields of science. Sin dethroned humanity from the miraculous realm. But through God's grace, we are being reacquainted into the realm of glory, the realm of God, and the name of Jesus. John chapter 4, verse 24, God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so they'll be like his glorious body. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from the sinful desires which war against your soul. It has been foreign for us to grasp the principles of this strange life of faith. While sin made us workers and slaves, grace makes us trust and rest. In the beginning, before Adam fell, man's spirit was the dominant force in the world, of his own triune being, spirit, soul, and body. When he sinned, his mind became dominant. Sin dethroned the spirit and crowned the intellect. However, the grace of God is restoring the spirit of man to its place of dominance over one's life. When man comes to recognize the dominance of the spirit, he will live in the realm of the supernatural without effort. No longer will faith be a struggle and a fight, but an unconscious reality, living in the realm of God as automatic as breathing. Romans chapter 8 verse 13. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. The heart or spirit of man craves the touch of a supernatural relationship with Almighty God. Nothing in the natural or intellectual realms can satisfy the cries of the heart. The things of this world may provide temporary happiness, but it always leaves people empty and crying out for more. Only God can fill the spiritual void of the heart. The love for the miraculous is in humanity. The spirit of man cannot be analyzed or classified by the mind. It is above the mind, as God is above the physical nature. Man's intellect is ever conscious of supernatural forces about him, and he cannot understand or interpret. Perhaps that is the reason why man longs to perform miracles. Unfortunately, Satan offers people what I call lying miracles and deceptive signs, phenomena like psychics, mediums, witchcraft, and the occult. Just consider the popularity of Harry Potter and the Disney's inordinate fascination with magic. It sells. Matthew chapter 24, verse 25. For false Christs and false apostles will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect, if that were possible. See, I have told you ahead of time. Revelations chapter 16, verse 13. Then I saw three evil spirits that looked like frogs. They came out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. They are spirits of demons performing miraculous signs, and they go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them for battle on the great day of God Almighty. Yes, Satan is a powerful spiritual being, but is nothing compared to the power of the Lord God Almighty. A good example is when God sent Moses and Aaron to Pharaoh. 
The only commodity that moved men in those times was supernatural power. The magicians of Satan could only mimic the signs produced by Moses up to a point. In 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 25, For the Lord is great and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy is in his dwelling place. Exodus chapter 8, verse 16. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the ground. And throughout the land of Egypt, the dust will become gnats. They did this, and when Aaron stretched out his hand with the staff and struck the dust of the ground, gnats came upon men and animals. All the dust throughout the land of Egypt became gnats. But when the magicians tried to produce gnats by their secret arts, they could not. And the gnats were on men and animals. The magician said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he would not listen, just as the Lord has said. In Acts chapter 8, verse 9, For some time a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city, and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention, and exclaimed, This man is the divine power known as the great power. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. Signs and wonders have a way of getting folks' attention. Remember when Jesus had healed the blind man? It was a calling card from God to humanity to get their attention. Atheists can't deny it. Secular humanists want to ignore it. But this is God up close and personal in our faces in full manifestation. He is real, and the Lord commands that men everywhere to repent. The power of God on display in the name of Jesus gives credibility to the gospel message. It's God's divine authenticity and stamp of approval. No other dead religion or philosophy of man can stand up against it because it's a no-brainer for people. This stark reality forces a response to people to accept Jesus or reject him. No more wishy-washy wavering in doubt. The choice becomes clear in the face of God's raw power on display. This is a biblical Christianity, and it was birthed on the day of Pentecost in power and fire that would blow the world away. John chapter 9, verse 30. The man answered, Now that is remarkable. You don't know where Jesus comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. In Acts chapter 8, verse 6. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed, so there was great joy in that city. Consider Elijah and the 450 prophets of Baal. It came down to a showdown between Satan and the God of Israel. Folks are looking for signs and wonders or proof of the existence of God. What pleases God is faith in his word. We find during Old Testament times, God was manifesting himself more in the natural realm to spiritually dead people. 
John chapter 20, verse 29, that Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. That's Jesus talking to Thomas. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 1, the Pharisees and Sadducees came to Jesus and tested him by asking him to show them a sign from heaven. He replied, When evening comes, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red, and in the morning, today it will be stormy, for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation looks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. Jesus then left them and went away. In 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 22, Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let them choose one for themselves, and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bowl and put it on wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire, he is God. Then all the people said, What you say is good. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one of the bulls and prepare it first. Since there are so many of you, call on the name of your God, but do not set fire to it. So they took the bull given to them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. But Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Well, shout louder, he said. Surely he is God. Perhaps he is deep in thought or busy or traveling. You know, maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as with their, was their custom, until the blood flowed. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come here to me. They came to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which was in ruins. Elijah took twelve stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it, large enough to hold two seeds of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bowl into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, Fill four large jars with water, and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it a third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, O Lord of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, would it be known today that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and have done all these things at your command? Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, He is God! The Lord, He is God! Certainly Christianity is about faith and trust in an unseen God. But this same God has no problem with making Himself known in a very outward, powerful manner, in signs and wonders and miracles. 
The curiosity for the miraculous is deep-seated in humanity. Mankind was brought into being by a miracle-working God, and mankind will ever yearn to work miracles. This is why we exalt superhuman achievements and athletic accomplishments. We want to see and experience great things. The hunger and desire for it is there. We even have a miracle drugs, miracle cleaners, and the term is ingrained in humans. The thirst for something more continues to drive humanity, to take them beyond the norm. Hence, steroids and performance enhancement drugs are so popular. This desire has fueled the notion of aliens from outer space and extraterrestrials. Mankind knows instinctively that there is more to this life than what we see, know, and have become accustomed to. The supernatural realm is really man's realm. Cement has blinded man and kept him from finding the secret door that would lead him back to his original exalted place. Thank God for Jesus, for he is the door that opens up to us eternal life and a restored relationship with God. In John chapter 10, verse 7, Then Jesus said to them again, Most surely I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life, and they may have it more abundantly. Is there a miracle element in Christian today? Did the miracles end with the death of the early apostles? If miracles originated with the early church, if they authored and created signs and wonders on their own, then sure, when they died, so did their handiwork. But wait a minute, signs and wonders are miracle works from God, not from men, and they have been in operation since the beginning of time. For miracles to cease, God would have to cease. As a result, it is ludicrous and ignorance to espouse that God does not perform miracles anymore. God has not changed, nor has the Word of God. The problem is that man has tried to change God, and he won't change. God is a miracle-working God, always has been and always will be. It is his calling card to get our attention. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. 1 Samuel chapter 15 verse 29, He who is the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind, for he is not a man that he should change his mind. Mark chapter 13 verse 31, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 1, We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For if the message spoken by angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. Why has the church declined, you may say? Simply, it is an abandonment from following the Word of God. It takes humility to submit and follow the teachings of Jesus Christ in the Bible. Man in his arrogance and pride gets his hands on what is sacred and messes with it by adding to and taking away from divine revelation in God's word. 
This effectively neutralizes the power inherent in God's word and reduces Christianity to another man-made religion of human reasoning and traditions, philosophies. Modernism dominates many churches today, where they accept all kinds of liberal, worldly points of view. Their denial of the supernatural element in the church reduces them to a mere ethical religion. It's really sad commentary that God is not moving in their midst. It reminds me of Ezekiel chapters 9-11, through 11, which describes how the glory of the Lord departed from Israel due to their grievous sins and unrepentant hearts. The lights of these churches may be on, but God is not home in their midst. Ezekiel chapter 9 verse 3, Now the glory of the God of Israel went up from above the cherubim, where it had been, and moved to the threshold of the temple. Then the Lord called to the man clothed in linen, who had the writing kit at his side, and said to him, Go throughout the city of Jerusalem and put a mark on the foreheads of those who grieve and lament over all the detestable things that are done in it. In Mark chapter 7, verse 6, Jesus replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it is written, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5, Having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with them. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. On the other hand, we have those who are contending for an original miraculous element in Christianity, but declaring that miracles ceased with the death of the apostles, that Christianity does not need the miraculous today to convince men of the authenticity of the gospel message. God is not going to sanction a man-made philosophy with signs and wonders that is reserved for the simplicity of the preaching of his word and not ours. Since the message did not change, neither does God in confirming it with signs and wonders. The partnership between Jesus and his church, we preach his word and he confirms his words with signs and wonders. This is for the entire dispensation of grace or the church age that we live in today. Mark chapter 16, verse 20. And the disciples went out and preached everywhere, and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. Then we have a third group of people who claim miracles are still being performed. The sick are healed, prayers are answered, mountains are being moved, and that God is a living reality in the daily life of the believer. Honestly, if folks had a choice between dry religious traditions and fresh power of God in manifestation, which of the two do you think they will choose? We need to realize we don't need to twist God's hand to move in our midst. He wants to, but we must follow His Word and the Spirit in the name of Jesus. If we submit to God's Word and His ways, God will move in our midst, for He only honors His Word and the name of Jesus, period. Too many ministers and churches want to control things to maintain their definition of order and respectability. Many seeker-friendly approaches have been adopted, well-intentioned, but folks just want to experience God in all His raw power and glory. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1, Follow the way of love, 
and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. Therefore, my brothers, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. We have lost the supernatural element out of Christianity in many churches who are clinging with trembling hands to a historical Jesus that has no power to heal the sick and no ability to meet daily needs. The spirit of real evangelism is almost a thing of the past. Power evangelism, that is. We cannot blame the cults and occult that is growing in popularity around our country. It is a protest of the people against modern, dead, theologically dry ministries that dominate many denominations. A dead orthodoxy has no resurrection power within it, no miracle working force back of it. Nothing but a return to our supernatural God of miracles will save our land and nation. Jesus attracted the multitudes by miracles, and he still does today through his body of believers. In Luke chapter 6 verse 17, he went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples were there, and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coast of Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by evil spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Mark chapter 3 verse 7, Jesus withdrew his disciples to the lake, and a large crowd from Galilee followed. When they heard all he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Idonium, and the regions across the Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon. Because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him, to keep the people from crowding him. He had healed many so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Whenever the evil spirit saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God! But he gave them strict orders not to tell who he was. Bottom line, we need in the church today is a concentrated and deliberate effort to train and develop the spirit of of believers in godliness, faith, and love, to become full of the word and the spirit, so as to imitate our heavenly Father and walk as Jesus did. Our spirits need to become so strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, to where it gains the ascendancy over the mind and body. Then we can be in a place to function as a true ambassador of Christ, a minister of reconciliation, a man and woman of God in a dark and depraved world that is in desperate need of Jesus, displaying in truthful speech and the power of God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 4 For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 7, In truthful speech and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left. Romans chapter 1, verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. For in the gospel a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith. From first to last, as is written, the righteous will live by faith. Through all the ages, it has been a battle of the supernatural versus the intellectual. The God of miracles is the creator of mankind, and when we eliminate the miraculous, we take away the heart and soul of Christianity. This is why we are teaching on the subject of the authority of the believer in the name of Jesus. 
We need more godly examples in our generation today like Stephen. Acts chapter 6 verse 5, this proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. We too can be men and women of God charged with the power of God and doing great exploits in the name of Jesus. Will we accept the call? How Jesus Obtained a More Excellent Name I need to point out that names in the Bible are really significant because they are titles of authority that point to a particular office and represent great achievements or victories. They serve a function, not just a means of giving honor. A person's name represents a person. Names have meaning and shed light as to their character and destiny. That is why the study of the name of Jesus is so essential for the believer to understand and to grasp. When we learn about the name of Jesus, we will come to understand the person of Jesus through his great and powerful name. According to Hebrews chapter 1 verse 4, Jesus had inherited a more excellent or superior name than any angel as the first begotten son, the first born again from spiritual death when God raised Jesus from the dead. Jesus was begotten of God because he had became, as we were, separated from God, tasted spiritual death for every person, taken on the nature of Satan and sin. Jesus became what we were so we can become what he is. Jesus had tasted death for all of us, all forms of death, physical, spiritual, and in hell. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 9, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Jesus had died spiritually with our sin. He became sin with our sin according to 2 Corinthians 5.21. And God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus was the first one to experience the new birth as a pattern for all of us who would be born again after him. This is total identification with us in our sin and in turn with his righteousness. Full circle. Colossians chapter 1 verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Revelation chapter 1 verse 4. Grace and peace to you from him who is, and who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 4. So Jesus became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to the heirs. For which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have become your father. Or again, I will be his father, and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Jesus is God as much as the Father and the Holy Spirit. The incarnation of Jesus was God as a spirit being taking on a human body. It's called the incarnation, or the hypostatic union, which he will live in for all eternity as a reminder for us along with the scars. Think of that. Jesus has a glorified body for all eternity. He made that sacrifice for us. When the Word became flesh, God took on a new name, Son of Man, used 86 times in the New Testament. I make this point because cults will twist the scriptures and imply that Jesus is a created being. 
In their minds, they interpret Son of God and the Word begotten as Jesus being inferior to God the Father. Jesus humbled himself to become a man by choice. It was required in order to purchase our redemption. After the resurrection, God the Father restored back to Jesus his divine faculties of being all-knowing, all-powerful, and everywhere at the same time, his glory as Son of God. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, speaking of Mary, She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Philippians chapter 2 verse 6, Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, and being found in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Acts chapter 7 verse 55, But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. 1 Timothy 2, verse 5. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men. As a man, Jesus defeated the devil who had dominion over mankind. This is the only way it could be done, and necessitated the virgin birth. Satan had legal claim over humanity because of sin, for it was a man that had gotten them into this predicament, Adam. And it would also be a man, Jesus, to get them out, but not just any man. This man had to be perfect in life, without any sin, in order to become the scapegoat or substitute to bear away our sins as God's justice requires. Seems impossible for any regular human being to match up to such a measure of perfection, doesn't it? Matthew chapter 19, verse 23, Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible, but not with God. With God, all things are possible. You see, Jesus was stating quite emphatically that it was impossible for man to save himself because he was born into sin due to Adam's transgression. It required outside intervention, but of a kind that would require God becoming man to identify with man. Satan could not challenge God on a legal basis since Jesus was subjected to all temptations as we are and qualified to be this perfect man to die on behalf of mankind. This is what we call apples to apples. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are yet was without sin. God taking on humanity to die on behalf of humanity was required. This made what Jesus did all legal. God's justice is satisfied by the sacrifice of Jesus, and we go free from Satan's tyranny. God's grace is certainly amazing. Note to self, when God makes the rules, he plays by them. 
Divinity does not excuse God from violating his own laws or contradicting himself. Our God practices what he preaches. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God said, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. In John chapter 1, verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only. He came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Romans chapter 5, verse 12, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death came through sin, and in this way death came to all men, because all sinned. For before the law was given, sin was in the world. But sin is not taken into account when there is no law. Nevertheless, Jesus reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. Jesus is referred to in the Bible as the last Adam, because where the first Adam failed, the last one, Jesus, succeeded. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 45, So it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living being, the last Adam, a life-giving spirit. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10, In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. Both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers in the presence of the congregation. I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here am I and the children God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death, he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and to free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it's not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like his brothers in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he is tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. In Galatians chapter 3 verse 26, You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So Jesus inherited a greater name than any angelic being. Having become like us as the Son of God, we too are called sons of God. Jesus is our Creator God, but through His humanity, He also became our elder brother, according to the Scriptures, in order to elevate us, according to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11. It was all for our benefit. So we would be restored to our former glory before Adam's fall. God is so good. Since Jesus paid the price for sin and satisfied God's justice, Satan lost his authority and power over our lives. Jesus is now our Lord and Master, and he conquered Satan and all his hosts. This includes all the devil's works and devices of sin, sickness, poverty, and all forms of oppression, death, and destruction. 
The sin problem was settled, and man's redemption a fact, obtained and accomplished. Remember on the cross, Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus became what we were, spiritually dead, taken on our sin nature, became separated from God. His spirit, not just his body, paid the penalty for sin. Sin is not just a physical thing and cannot be paid by just mere physical action. Its roots are in the spiritual realm. Sure, it manifests in the natural, but its origins is spiritual. Isaiah chapter 53 verse 9, in the Hebrew word death is in the plural, as in deaths. Jesus tasted death for us. Remember, this is spiritual death where Satan has dominated, not physical death. Now, Jesus has the keys of death and hell. It is God's will that we come to the realization and receive spiritual revelation concerning the name of Jesus and what it means for us today. Through the resurrection from the dead, Jesus has triumphed over the enemy in every sense of the word. Jesus has been exalted above every name that is named. Jesus reigns supreme over all the powers of darkness, for they tried to keep Jesus in hell indefinitely. But as the old saying goes, you just can't keep a good man down. Once the claims of God's justice concerning our sins was satisfied and paid in full, God the Father declared, that's enough, reached down from heaven, and with a mighty arm of strength took hold of Jesus and raised him from the dead. Even though all of Satan's power was resisting the resurrection, he no longer had any hold on Jesus, but was cast aside, put to naught, vanquished, spoiled, stripped, paralyzed, and humiliated. Colossians chapter 2 verse 13 in the Amplified. And you who were dead in trespasses and in uncircumcision of your flesh, your sensuality, your sinful carnal nature, God brought to life together with Christ, having freely forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled and blotted out and wiped away the handwriting of the note, the bond, with his legal decrees and demands, which was in force and stood against us, hostile to us. This note, with its regulations, decrees, and demands, he set aside and cleared completely out of our way by nailing it to his cross. God disarmed the principalities and powers that were ranged against us and made a bold display and public example of them in triumphing over them in him and in it the cross. The name stands for the person. What Jesus is, the name represents. The church needs a fresh revelation of the awesome glory invested in the name of Jesus, the spirit of wisdom and revelation that we may see, know, and speak the name of Jesus. We have a rich inheritance wrapped up in the name of Jesus. Revelation chapter 19, verse 16. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparable great power for us to believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his own right hand in the heavenly realms far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet 
and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. These are the same principalities and powers in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10 that were reduced to nothing. That is why in Mark 16 verse 17 we can cast out demons, lay hands on the sick, and bring freedom to the captives all in the name of Jesus. Acts chapter 2 verse 29 will not leave his soul in hell. David speaking by the Spirit spoke of the resurrection of Jesus. We will not understand the authority of Jesus until we know that Jesus satisfied the claims of justice, dying as our substitute. God the Father said that that was enough and raised Jesus up from the dead. That is when Jesus was begotten of the Father. That is the day Jesus by inheritance obtained the most excellent name. God conferred upon Jesus a name that is above every name because of his achievements and his death, burial, and resurrection. Colossians chapter 1 verse 9. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We have been delivered from the authority of darkness. Satan has no authority to dominate the believer anymore. So God's will for us is to put the devil on the run in Jesus' name. The name of Jesus is recognized in three worlds, heaven, earth, and hell. Angels, demons, and men must bow before that name. If the name of Jesus had only belonged to the early church to do signs and wonders, then only salvation was available to the early church as well. Because there is no name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved, but by the name of Jesus. So if the name of Jesus is still available for mankind to be saved, then so are the signs and wonders to be exercised through the church in Jesus' name. There is more than salvation in that name. All the majesty, glory, his name has lost none of its power or potency. Philippians chapter 2 verse 9. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The inference in Philippians chapter 2 verse 9 is that there was a name known in heaven, unknown elsewhere, and this name was kept to be conferred upon someone who should merit it. Jesus was given this name, and at this name every knee shall bow in three worlds, heaven, earth, and under the earth, or hell. And every tongue will confess that he is Lord of the three worlds to the glory of God the Father. In Acts chapter 4 verse 12, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. All that authority is wrapped up in that name. When we speak it, it brings into reality all that Jesus accomplished. When we know what is back of that name and what Jesus accomplished, power is released. 
not by parodying the name without having first a revelation understanding of it in our spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 6. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. The King James Version of 1 Corinthians chapter 2 6 states that the princes of this world that come to naught. Moffat's translation reads, the dethroned rulers of this world. Jesus really did the enemy in. Why then are so many Christians and churches being dominated by the devil? Simply put, either they do not know what belongs to them, or they know it, but do not act like it so. They take the name of Jesus like a a charm or a rabbit's foot. Perhaps if I speak the name of Jesus, it might work. There is tremendous difference between trying and doing something. First, let's find out what is behind the name of Jesus, and then make it a part of our every area of our life. Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Jesus has already dethroned the devil 2,000 years ago, not in the millennium. The kingdom of darkness has no right to rule us anymore. The name of Jesus stands for all his power and authority to enforce Satan's defeat over our lives. The name works by knowing, not by wishing. Teaching of God's word is the key in order to get the wisdom of God on this matter. John chapter 8 verse 31, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Satan has been paralyzed. As we have mentioned above, Colossians chapter 1 verse 15 and chapter 2 verse 12 gives us a deeper view of Jesus' conquest over the satanic forces just before he rose from the dead. Remember that his name was conferred upon him because of his conquest. The picture here is of Jesus Christ in the dark regions of the lost in an awful combat with the hosts of darkness. It gives us a glimpse of the tremendous battle and victory that Jesus won before he rose from the dead. The margin reads, having put off from himself the principalities and powers. It is evident that the whole demon host, when they saw Jesus in their power, simply intended to swamp him, overwhelm him, as they held him in fearful bondage. At least until the pronouncement came forth from the throne of God that Jesus had met the demands of justice, that the sin problem was settled and man's redemption was a fact. When this declaration reached the dark regions, Jesus rose and hurled back the hosts of darkness and met Satan in awful combat as described in Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and to free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. I like what it says in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 in the Rotherman's translation. In order that through death he might paralyze him, that held the dominion of death, that is the devil. Jesus spoiled principalities and powers, the same dudes mentioned in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Jesus made a show of them, parading them before heaven and earth. It's about time that we find out about it. Jesus triumphed and made a show of them through his death, burial, and resurrection and seating at the right hand of the Father. Jesus' triumph is our triumph because we are seated with him at the Father's right hand. 
Because we are in Christ, we have as much authority and victory over the devil as Jesus does. In other words, after Jesus had put off from himself the demon forces and the awful burden of the guilt of sin and sickness that he carried with him down there, he grappled with Satan. Jesus conquered him and left him paralyzed, whipped, and defeated. God the Father has stripped, spoiled, put to naught, defeated, and paralyzed all the enemy that had tried to keep Jesus from being resurrected. In ancient times, when one king defeated another king, the defeated king would be publicly humiliated and paraded through the city streets in a great show. The triumphant king would symbolically place his foot on the neck of his enemy, signifying his total defeat. That is exactly what Jesus has done to the devil. Here's another example for you. If you were to enter into the room of a house, and there before you was a big old 300-pound muscular biker guy, all decked out with leather. He sits there just cursing you out and threatening you with all kind of harm and pain. Normally, you would be quite taken back and afraid, right? But suppose I were to come in right after you had entered the room and mentioned, Oh, by the way, old Butch here is paralyzed from the neck down. He's all talk and no action. You would just laugh at him because you know he does not have the power to back up his threats. But while you were ignorant of the fact that he was paralyzed, you might be afraid. In regards to the Christian who is in fellowship with God, the devil is a big bluff, a great actor. He comes in as a roaring lion. But Jesus had already knocked all his teeth out. Jesus defanged and paralyzed him, so we don't have to be afraid of him anymore. We do, however, have reason for concern if we venture into his territory of unrepentant sin. If we hold on to unforgiveness or the practice of sinful habits, there is a risk of harm. Just don't go there, my friend. Luke chapter 11, verse 21. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are safe. But when someone stronger attacks and overcomes him, he takes away the armor in which the man trusted and divides up the spoils. Jesus fulfilled Luke chapter 11, verse 21 in his death, burial, and resurrection. So when Jesus rose from the dead, he not only had the keys of death and hell, but he had the very armor in which Satan trusted. Jesus has defeated the devil and stripped him bare of all authority and all dominion, power, and claim over humanity through his sin, which in turn had opened the door for death or the work of Satan to kill, steal, and destroy humanity. Jesus stands before the three worlds, heaven, earth, and hell, as the undisputed victor over man's ancient destroyer, Satan. Like a prize fighter in a boxing ring, he conquers Satan before his own cohorts, his own servants in the dark regions of the damned. And there he stood in that dreaded place, the absolute victor and master. Is it any wonder that fresh from such tremendous victory, he should say to his disciples, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Now we can understand what Philippians chapter 2 means, that by his name, is, which is above every other name, and every knee must bow. All this authority and power that was obtained by his mighty conquest is now invested in that name. He stands as the master and the ruler of the universe. All this authority and power that Jesus gained by his mighty conquest is in that name. And he has given that name to us. The authority that he has won is delegated to us in the use of his name. All he has is in that name. All he is today is in that name. And that name is ours. 
Jesus was given that name that he might give it to us. He gave us his name to us that we might carry out the will of the Father in this dispensation in which we are living. We know the early church utilized this authority. The early church acted for Jesus in his stead. They worked miracles, and miracles opened doors for ministry and service. It gave authenticity and authority to their credentials, a standing in the community where they preached credibility to the message. Acts chapter 8 verse 5, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in that city. They lived and walked in the realm of the supernatural. It was normal, expected, and a common reality. It was the days of God on the earth to the people where they ministered. Let's realize that today is our generation. Romans chapter 5 verse 17 in the Amplified, For if because of one man's trespass, lapse and offense, death reigned through that one, much more surely will those who receive God's overflowing grace and the free gift of righteousness, putting them into right standing with himself, reign as kings in life through the one man, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. In regards to Romans chapter 5.17, where are we to reign? In heaven? In the sweet by and by? No, it's talking about reigning in this life, now as kings through Jesus. God has made us to be more than conquerors and has given us the victory, according to Romans chapter 8 verse 37 and 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 57. We are to dominate the circumstances, trials, tests, and temptations in this life. Let's reign over sickness, poverty, and any other kind of oppression. We are redeemed from the tyranny of the enemy. Let's stop the devil from cheating and stealing from our inheritance and the promises from God. Satan has no right or authority in our house or over our children. God's will for us is to rule in our life and house through Jesus Christ. We also need to help those who don't know these things. Some well-meaning Christians get all happy singing, Here in life do I wander as a beggar in the heat and the cold. Precious Jesus, don't forget me. Can't expect much out of this life, but if I can just get in and leave this valley of tears, or quoting Job and singing, He gives and takes away. We thought we were being humble when we sang, Just build me a cabin in the corner of glory land when all we were being was really just ignorant. People start crying and getting happy and blessed over a lie. They sing it so much it becomes a truism. Let's sing the scriptures and stay with the word. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Revelations chapter 5 When I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals, And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne. 
encircled by four living creatures and elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the sevenfold Spirit of God sent out into all the earth. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls of full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased men for God, from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshiped. Some men's names are great because they were born or inherited it, like a prince or royalty. Others obtain a great name because of achievements, conquests, and victories they had obtained. Still others obtain a great name because it was conferred upon them. The name of Jesus is great because he inherited a great name. His name is great because of his achievements. He is great because a great name was conferred upon him. When he rose from the dead and stood triumphant over death, hell, Satan, disease, and the grave. We stood with him, for we were in Christ. Now he gives us the use of the name that was conferred upon him when he had accomplished this mighty work in satisfying the claims of justice, defeating Satan, meeting the needs of humanity. He has put absolutely no limit upon our use of that name. The only question is, do I understand God's intentions in giving me the use of that name? We are not to use it as the ungodly use their good luck charms, but we are to use it in a business sense, the legal sense of the power of attorney. We use his name respectively as ambassadors of Christ in the earth. The sick and afflicted come to us, and healing virtue that is in Christ, that is in his finished work, is available to the sick one in that name, according to Acts chapter 3, verse 16. Here is a great confession that we can speak out loud concerning the name of Jesus. He has authorized me to use his name against all of hell, demons, sin, sickness, and oppression. In the name of Jesus, I am free. I am free today, right now. All his power and authority and might of all his conquests are invested in the name of Jesus, and that name belongs to me. Therefore, I am more than a conqueror, so I can take that name Jesus has given me the right to use his name. We need to fully understand the significance of these truths and fully develop them in our spirit. Jesus has put all things under our feet. The least members of the body of Christ, the heel or the little toe, has as much authority over the devil as the head does, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. We have no less authority than the twelve apostles or the seventy-two disciples. Satan is the God of this world system, but he's not God over us.
the name of Jesus, what is behind it. We must understand who Jesus is. See his standing in heaven, his achievements in the plan of redemption, and the glory and honor that belongs to him today as he sits at the right hand of the majesty on high. If one is planning to use the name of Jesus in prayer, praise, and power evangelism, one needs to know the power invested in that name which God esteems above every other name. Speaking of the deity of Jesus Christ, he is God the Son, equal with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the God-man, 100% God becoming 100% man. Even though he took on flesh and blood body, having emptied himself of all divine prerogatives, according to Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, the person of Jesus was, is, and always will be God. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. John chapter 8, verse 58, I tell you the truth, Jesus answered before Abraham was born, I am. Jesus is the great I am. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Jesus is the manifestation of the will of the Godhead upon the earth. God the Father appointed Jesus to be heir of all things, who being the outshining of his very glory and the very image of his substance, upholding the universe by the word of his power, according to Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1. When Jesus had made a substitution for sins and satisfied every claim of justice, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, the highest seat in the universe. At the resurrection of Jesus, God the Father glorified the Son back to his original place of power, glory, and majesty, having humbled himself to the level of a servant, crucified and raised back to life forevermore. Jesus is God, the Savior of our souls, and the Creator of the universe. John chapter 16, verse 28, Jesus said, I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I'm leaving the world and going back to the Father. John chapter 17, verse 5. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Revelation chapter 22, verse 13. Jesus said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. The deity of Jesus is what makes his name powerful. If the deity of Jesus can be undermined, 
then Christianity will have lost its heart and become a dead religion. Modern secularism is a challenge of the deity and relevance of Jesus Christ in our society today. The deity of Jesus is the crux of Christianity. If this can be successfully challenged, then Christianity has lost its heart and will cease to function. It will become a dead religion. Second Peter chapter 2 verse 1 But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They were secretly introduced destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Jude chapter 4 For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men who change the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. The challenge of Jesus' deity is found in our society today in our liberal education system, colleges and churches, in society. Even though our nation was founded on biblical principles and the deity of Jesus Christ as Lord and God, that is not what is esteemed today. If Jesus is not deity, he is not Lord. If he is not Lord, then he cannot interfere with our moral activities. If he is not Lord, then the laws that have been founded upon his teachings have lost their force. The morals that surround marriage with its lofty ideals have no basis of fact. There is no permissiveness in society. No one who lives that way has respect for the deity of Jesus, because we would follow his word and teachings and morals. If Jesus is not a revelation from God with divine authority, then he's just a good man. His teachings is but a philosophy that one can take or leave with no consequences. If Jesus of Nazareth is not a revelation from God with divine authority, then he is but a man. If Jesus is but a man, then all we have built around him must be destroyed, and we have built around this man our modern civilization. Men and women have looked up upon the life of Jesus and have received inspiration to live a pure life in order to please him. Children have been incited to obedience and purity by the example and teachings of that man. Businessmen have been moved from crooked waves, knowing that one day they would meet that man and have to stand at the judgment seat of Christ to give an account. To say that he was just a good man is an insult, and would be equivalent to calling him a liar. Jesus is or is not what he says he was. We have no record of his sayings nor of his doings outside the four Gospels, and if we repudiate them, then we have but a mythical picture of Jesus. If we challenge one of them, we have the right to challenge all of them. Jesus dealt with the sin problem and was raised for our justification as our intercessor and mediator for the human race. The word of God is true. Jesus is God, and all the Bible says he is. Deity backs the name of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, or the incarnate one, Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14. The wave of crime and lawlessness that is sweeping our nation is just a byproduct of the modern, liberal, secular, progressive movement challenging the integrity of the Word of God in Jesus Christ. It is the spirit of the Antichrist. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7 For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. 
The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan, displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders, and in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. There is power in the name of Jesus. In the natural, most of us have an understanding of our financial net worth. There is an intimate knowledge of what we possess, bank accounts and investments, retirement plans, insurance policies. As for the Christians, there is such an appalling lack of knowledge concerning our glorious redemption and inheritance. How few of us really know, possess, and enjoy what our full salvation covers and encompasses. Consider Psalms chapter 138 verse 2 in the Amplified. You have exalted above all else your name and your word, and you have magnified your word above all your name. Through God's word we come to understand the awesome power that is in the name of Jesus. Let's consider Matthew chapter 18 verse 19. The secret is in the context of why it will be done for those who agree in prayer. Simply put, it is done in the name of Jesus according to verse 20. Jesus is talking about those two who are agreeing in his name. Jesus is there to see to it that what they have agreed upon comes to pass. It all hinges on the name of Jesus. All the power and all the authority that is in Jesus is in his name. Matthew chapter 18 verse 19 Again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three come together in my name, there I am with them. Here is one of my favorite passages of scriptures along these lines. It's found in Acts chapter 3. It has to do with the healing of an elderly crippled man who sat at the gate called Beautiful in Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 3 verse 1, One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at three in the afternoon. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, Look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you can all see. Notice what what Peter said, Such as I have, I give unto you. The church does not realize they have anything except the forgiveness of sins, just sinners saved by grace. That is why the devil dominates these Christians. Anything else that is good from God is relegated to heaven. When they get to heaven, then everything will be great. Just hold on to the end because the devil is running everything, We have defeated ourselves. We say things like, well, I can't. It's so hard. I'll never. Oh, poor old me. Please pray for me that I make it to heaven. Not sure if I will. You get the picture? This is not what the New Testament teaches. However, the New Testament does teach, I am more than a conqueror. Greater is he that is in me. God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness right now. We need to find out who we are in Christ today and live it out by grace through faith. 
I've got a great example for you that really illustrates this point. Charles Spurgeon had visited an elderly woman who was bedfast. She lived in a drafty old shack. She was malnourished and starving to death. As he was visiting her, he noticed a document that was framed hanging on the wall. She was a maid for around 50 years for one of the nobility in England. Before she died, this noble woman gave it to her. Unfortunately, this bedfast woman could not read. She just hung it on the wall as a memento. So Spurgeon took it to the authorities, who stated that they had been looking for that because the noblewoman had left an inheritance for this maid, who is now 80 years old. She had inherited a home and money to be cared for the rest of her life. But there she was, living in a shanty town, starving to death. She had hanging on the wall of her room a document that authorized her to be well kept. The money was there, just collecting interest. It belonged to her. But because of her lack of knowledge, as stated in Hosea chapter 4, verse 6, she was suffering needlessly. Spiritually speaking, so many Christians are living in a one-room shanty, and on their wall they have framed a copy of the New Covenant. Oh, they are proud of it, but they have not taken the time to read it and find out what it means, or they have just a mental assent of the name of Jesus, but have not acted upon it. The name of Jesus is just as wonderful as Jesus. All his conquests, power, victories are in the name of Jesus, and the name of Jesus belongs to us, to us to use in every area of our life. If we had known what was invested in the name of Jesus, we would have picked it up and put the devil on the run a long time ago. Peter and John, speaking to the bigger man, said that he had something, the same thing you and I have, according to Mark chapter 16, the name of Jesus. The devil does not want us to know about the name of Jesus. He does not care how religious we get as long as we don't know the power in the name of Jesus and exercise it. Sadly, there is confusion in the church. Well, the Lord can heal if he wants to, but if it's not, it's not always his will. You even have spirit-filled believers who think, oh, if we just had the power of the early church, just pray for the power. Oh, Lord, send the power. But the power is there the whole time. They have already been filled with the Holy Spirit and are anointed. Why ask for what we already have? Let's wake up and find out what we already belongs to us. 1 John chapter 2, verse 20, But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. As for you, the anointing you received from Him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as His anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in Him. The Great Commission Let's first look at the power of attorney defined. This concept, the power of attorney, is foundational in understanding the authority of the believer. It is defined as a document that gives another person legal authority to act on your behalf. If you create such a document, you are called the principal or grantor of the power, and the person to whom you give this authority is called the agent or attorney in fact. A power of attorney may be oral, and whether witnessed or not, will be held up in court, same as if it were in writing. Jesus gave us the power of attorney the legal right to use his name. The value of the name of Jesus is based on how much power is backing the name that it represents. So how much power and authority does Jesus have? To the victor belongs the spoils. Jesus has it all. And all the power and authority Jesus has is invested in his name. 
Jesus gave us his name to use in prayer, dealing with demons, ministering healing, water baptism, impartation of the laying on of hands. It's all in the name of Jesus. The measure of power and ability released in the name is the measure of the value of that name. All that is invested in the name belongs to us. Jesus gave us the unqualified use of his name. Concerning Matthew chapter 28 verse 18, when you examine the language of the Great Commission from a legal standpoint, Jesus gave his church the power of attorney, or the legal right to use his name. Again, the value of the power of attorney depends upon how much there is in back of it. Matthew chapter 28 verse 18 gives us insight to how much authority his name represents. Matthew chapter 28 verse 18 in the Amplified. Jesus approached and breaking the silence said to them, All authority, all power of rule in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go then and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you all the days, perpetually, uniformly, and on every occasion, to the very close and consummation of the age. Amen. So be it. The measure of his ability is the measure of the value of that name, and all that is invested in that name belongs to us. For Jesus gave us the unqualified use of his name. Jesus gave to his church the right to use his name. That right meant that we are to represent him in the earth today. We act as Jesus would in every situation. When we encounter people that are hurting and need healing or deliverance, well, doing what he did, you know, what would Jesus do? Would be the, to set them free and perform even greater works, more works around the world through his name as his body. That's what it means to be an ambassador of Christ. We are acting on his behalf as his representation, his feet, hands, voice, love, faith, and power on the earth. Jesus is currently at the right hand of the Father, while we are here on the earth. If the ministry is to be done on behalf of the lost and hurting world, it will be done through us, not only collectively, but also individually, using his authority delegated to us in order to carry out his will on the earth like he did 2,000 years ago. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. What we are saying is this, Father, Jesus is up there at your right hand, and he gave us the power of attorney to carry out your will on the earth. So here is this great need. So we speak in Jesus' name that this need be met. So we take Jesus' place and use Jesus' name just as though Jesus himself was here. The only difference is that instead of Jesus doing it, we are doing it for him or he's doing it through us. In another sense, he does it through us since we are his body. Bottom line, we are acting according to his word. He has given us the same authority he had while he was here. And the believer's position in Christ gives them the same standing with the Father that Christ had when he was here on earth. Concerning the early church and the use of the name of Jesus, 
They did not argue about it. They did not worry about it. They did not stop and analyze what it meant. All they did was act on the words of Jesus. They did not understand all that Paul did when afterwards, by the Holy Spirit, greater light was given through the epistles, like the book of Romans, Galatians, and Ephesians. However, they did know that Jesus had given them a right to use that name, and they entered into the right with simplicity of a child. Using the name as directed in the Bible glorifies the Father, magnifies Jesus, and answers the need of humanity. Here is a supernatural power that is available to every believer. It's not a question of education or ordination, but merely a question of me apprehending my own true position in Christ, and there using the power that has been legally given to me and to every believer. Power to the people, the people of God. Oh, the wonderful grace of God. Remember, according to Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, Jesus had received all power and authority in heaven and on earth. So what does Jesus immediately do with it? He delegated it to the church to go forth in his name through the power of attorney and fulfill the great commission on his behalf. Jesus has authorized us, sending us out to make disciples of all nations, and he is with us always. He is with us through the person of the Holy Spirit living inside of us, Jesus is with us when we stand upon and speak his name. Jesus is on the scene to back up his name every time working through us for the glory of God. So what is authority? Simply put, it is delegated power. Jesus has given us the authority to trample over all the power of the enemy. That is good news. Luke chapter 10 verse 17. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy, and nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Authority is delegated power, but the value of that power is based on the ability of the institution that backs one up. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10 in the Amplified, In conclusion, be strong in the Lord be empowered through your union with him, draw your strength from him, that strength which his boundless might provides. Notice that Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10 does not say to be strong in ourselves, but to be strong in the Lord. This is done by trusting and resting in the power that is behind the name of Jesus. It does not matter what we feel, our strength comes from the Lord and the power of his might. We need to learn to start relaxing and laughing. Because, bless God, we are strong in the Lord, we are in Christ, the value of authority depends on the force behind the user. Jesus gave unto us authority according to Luke chapter 10 verse 19. God himself is the power behind the authority that has been given unto us. Greater is he that is in us than the defeated enemy that is in the world according to 1 John chapter 4 verse 4. This authority was not just for the twelve apostles or the seventy-two he sent out. These folks at the time were not born again. They had a promissory note on it, but the reality was not theirs until after the resurrection of Jesus. We have a greater reality of this, a God-given authority for the blood-washed, spirit-filled believer. If it is any less than what they had, then what Jesus did in his death, bone, and resurrection was a flat failure. Would have been better that he left it the way it was so we would have more power over the devil. So we have the fulfillment of what Jesus did in his redemption, not less. 
Since we live in the reality of the new covenant that is in full force today, the believer that is thoroughly convinced of the divine power that is behind him or her and on his own authority that has been delegated to him and exercises it can face the enemy without fear or hesitancy. The other religions of the world cannot impart life to anyone, nor does it give them authority over the devil. Christianity is the only reality where God lives in us, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Trust in God that is in you, being the temple of the Holy Spirit, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. We were never without hope, never without God. He never leaves us or forsakes us. In the Old Testament, they would look unto the hills for help or to Jerusalem. But thank God in the New Covenant, God is not far off somewhere. No, in Christ he dwells in us to give us illumination to our mind from our spirit and tells us what to do in order to overcome every crisis of life. He has the answers and he dwells within us. So why should we ever look to somewhere else? I have a great analogy that explains authority and how it's exercised by using a policeman. Suppose you come to an intersection in your car and observe a traffic cop directing traffic. During the course of his duties, he wants cars to stop at his command, right? Question, does he have the physical power in himself to hold back cars at the traffic light? Obviously, he does not have the power to stop all the traffic, but he has the authority or the right to do so. So how does he go about stopping all those powerful cars from running over him? All he has to do is boldly stand in the middle of that intersection and raise his hand, and those cars had better stop or else. Those motorists better recognize that authority. But how do the folks know when someone is authorized? Obviously, the uniform, and particularly the badge the officer wears, sends this message. The police officer has been authorized to represent the city and to exercise the laws of the city, state, and nation. If a person should challenge the officer... It really is a challenge to the power of the entire government system that has authorized him and backs him up. The same Greek word for seal in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 22 and Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 means to be stamped as with a signet ring or to mark like a brand or a tattoo. The Holy Spirit, the greater one within us, is the power that backs us up when we speak the name of Jesus. We have been branded by God as his property, which means no trespassing for Satan to afflict us with sickness and oppression. However, like the policeman, we must exercise this authority in order for the power to kick in and get the job done. In 2 Corinthians 1, verse 21, Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13, And you have been included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. We try to put out all this effort to make the devil stop, when all we have to do is stand our ground and command the devil to cease and desist in his maneuvers and operations in the name of Jesus. The devil will come to a screeching halt. For this to work, we must know that authority has been given to us. Secondly, we must understand the power that backs up this authority. And third, we must be submitted to God in obedience to his word. And finally, we must exercise it. 
The devil is already intimately acquainted with this knowledge firsthand when Jesus paralyzed him 2,000 years ago. Praise God, Satan's defeat is always fresh in his mind. However, if he can keep us from knowing it or acting upon it, he has defeated us and will dominate us. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 1, The wicked man flees, the known pursues him, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. James chapter 4, verse 7, So be subject to God, resist the devil, stand firm against him, and he will flee from you. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 in the Amplified, Be well balanced, temperate, sober of mind, be vigilant and cautious at all times, for that enemy of yours, the devil, roams around like a lion roaring in fierce anger, seeking someone to seize upon and devour. Withstand him, be firm in the faith, against his onset, rooted, established, strong, immovable, and determined. Let's look at authority conferred upon the church. Even though Jesus is the head over every principality and power, this authority can only be exercised through his body, the church. This is where Christians get confused concerning the sovereignty of God. Traditional thought goes, God is sovereign and can do what he wants and when he wants to, and everything is under his control. Well, if everything is under his control, then why is the world so messed up? At present, Satan is the small g God of this world and will continue to be until Adam's lease runs out. Until such time, God will only intervene in the affairs of mankind when he is asked to by the church. Remember, Christians have been given the keys to bind and loose things on this earth. According to Matthew chapter 18, verse 18, the stark reality is that evil persists in the earth because we permit them or allow them to. We don't know our authority or we're not acting on our authority. We are praying that God would do something about it. He is not going to do anything about it because he has already delegated this authority over to us. We are to put the devil under our feet and trample over him. The tragic irony is that well-meaning Christians sit idly by, allowing the devil to ravish the land because of their religious thinking. God is sovereign and will work out his will out of all the ashes of tragedy, havoc, and human misery. Realize that Jesus has already defeated the devil. Our job is to enforce the devil's defeat through the name of Jesus. I'll never forget what a well-known prophet of God had said years ago. The Lord Jesus holds Christians in America accountable for allowing the Vietnam War to happen because they would not pray. That point is based on 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So what happens if we don't pray? Then God isn't able to move. It seems that God doesn't do anything in the earth unless someone asks him to. God respects the boundaries that he's already established sovereignly back when he gave authority to Adam and Eve. Fortunately, they committed high treason and relinquished that to the devil. And so Satan's the god of this world system. So God, through covenant, is able to establish the means to intervene in the affairs of mankind. Putting the responsibility off on God, spiritualizing and rationalizing trials, tests, and temptations as God sovereignly making us more like Jesus can be such a mistake. In effect, we are laying down and letting the devil stomp all over us and dig his heels into our backs. Clearly, the devil perpetuates these falsehoods in order to disarm and pacify Christians from fighting back when he attacks them. 
wouldn't want to resist God's will from having his perfect work in our lives, right? No, the Bible tells us to resist the devil, who is the author of trials, tests, and temptations that are designed to destroy us, not to help us. Remember, we can have 10 miles of trials and not grow an inch if we don't, in the midst of the attack, overcome it by acting on the Word of God. Then, and only then, do we grow in character and strengthen our faith walk. However, there are more preferable ways to grow in character, like practicing the Word of God, when no one is looking, or when it's not popular, and especially when we don't feel like it. Let's not glamorize the devil's work as though it was the best thing that ever happened to us. What about all those folks that were swallowed up and turned their back on God because of trials, tests, and temptations? We never hear about those casualties of war, do we? In order to make good of the use of the authority in the name of Jesus, we need to have as much Bible sense to distinguish a good God and only good things in store for us and that the bad devil only peddles bad things against us. John chapter 10, verse 10 in the Amplified, The thief comes only in order to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that they may have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. James chapter 1 verse 16. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. If the Lord could do whatever he wants in the earth, then everyone would get saved today and tomorrow we'd go into the millennium. If God was sovereign to such a point that he controls everything, then there would be no use for us to pray since God is in control. And what happens in the earth is always his will. Don't misunderstand me. I believe that God is sovereign to the extent that the Bible teaches he is sovereign. But folks push this into areas where it does not belong and becomes a great hindrance and stumbling block. Jesus is coming back again. That is God's sovereign will. And I believe that. But I don't believe that God sovereignly sends bad things in my life ever Nor is it his will that people perish, suffer, and die in wars, famines, and accidents. We need to take responsibility as believers and acknowledge that we have often dropped the ball in the area of prayer and using the name of Jesus over the devil, and we permit bad things to happen by virtue of our inaction and or our ignorance on these matters. Matthew chapter 7 verse 9, Which of you, if his son asks for a bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? What Jesus was in his hometown, the Bible says that he could not do any miracles, which implies that he wanted to, but was not able to. Well, I thought God was sovereign and can do anything he wants to. Well, he can't override folks' wills, their free will, and make them accept something that they do not want or believe in. Consider the children of Israel. God's will was clearly for them to enter into the promised land. But instead, they wandered for 40 years in the desert until that generation had died. Why? Because God had changed his mind? No. Was it because his sovereign will that they didn't go in? No. It was because of unbelief. God can only lead people to his rivers of life, but of water, but he can't make them drink. This does not diminish God's power or sovereignty. God is sovereign in that he makes the rules but that never excuses him to break them or to contradict himself. In Mark chapter 6 verse 5, says that Jesus could do no mighty miracles in his hometown except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them, and he was amazed at their lack of faith. I like what Romans chapter 3 verse 3 says along these lines. What if some did not have faith? 
Would their lack of faith nullify God's faithfulness? Not at all. Let God be true and every man a liar. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 16. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the desert? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief, not because it was God's sovereign will for them not to. It was because of their unbelief. Remember our policeman illustration? Wouldn't it be strange for that traffic cop, instead of using the authority that was delegated to him to direct traffic, if he were to say, I think I'm going to call the mayor and ask him to do something about this traffic jam. Even if the mayor is the head of the local government, he had delegated authority to the police force to handle these kinds of problems. So it is with God. He is not going to do anything about the devil that is up to us. He has already done everything that he's going to do in dealing with the devil. We don't need to pray and ask God, what are we going to do when the devil is operating? Just shut him down in Jesus' name. Whether it's sickness, poverty, oppression, or any other kind of contrary thing that's to the scripture, we have to deal with it. Christians will get disturbed when they try to use this authority and circumstances do not change immediately. They'll get in the natural and give the devil authority over them. We must stand in faith and stand by what we believe in God's word not by what we see or feel. The mountains of circumstances has to move. The fig tree has no choice. Just believe it in your spirit. In Mark chapter 11, verse 22, Jesus said, Have faith in God. I tell you the truth. If anyone says to this mountain, Go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. In Luke chapter 17, verse 6, Jesus replied, If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Now I want you to notice in these scriptures that the mountain and the fig tree obey us, not God. Just as a regular citizen would obey the police officer standing in front of them as opposed to the mayor in his or her office, yes, God is the supreme authority, but we are his agents in this earth, and the devil and circumstances of life have to obey us as though they would obey the one who has sent us, just as if he were here in the flesh again on the earth. Jesus is with us in the power and authority of his name. Since Jesus is the same, so is his name that worked for the early church and works for the church today. There was not one kind of church 2,000 years ago and a different one today. It's the same body of Christ, the same name that brought salvation, answered prayer, provided access to the Father, that cast out devils, and belonged to the early church belongs also to us today. They did not have some special authority that was unique to them only. In Acts chapter 19, verse 13, says that some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, In the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day, the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and I know about Paul, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. 
he gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. In Acts chapter 19, verse 13, there is a unique story about seven sons of Sceva who were posers and trying to use the name of Jesus like a good luck charm. They had no right to use that name because they were not believers. That name belongs to us, the church, and we can use that name. The authority that is in the name of Jesus releases all the power of God on our behalf. Notice what the evil spirit did to those guys. And also notice that the name of Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, was held in high honor for the power that it had. When we realize that this authority has been given to the individual believer and member of the body of Christ and not to the ministry gifts alone, it puts the responsibility squarely upon every believer, doesn't it? We're not only a member of the body, but we have become a responsible member of that body of Christ. So no more excuses. We have a legal right to use the name of Jesus. Every Christian does. It simply comes down to obedience to the Great Commission, faithfully discharging our ministry as ambassadors of Christ and release the unlimited power of God in the earth through our lives. So going back to that great scripture on delegated authority, Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. In review, remember this passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, speaks of delegated authority given by Jesus to his church in the earth. The intent of this divine transfer is for the church to carry on his ministry in this world while he is in heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is the head and we are the body. Jesus can't do anything in the earth except through his body. It's like our head wanting to pick up a drink of water, but it can't do so except through the body. The head gives the commands and orders, and the body carries those instructions out. It is a mutual need for each other. Our problem is that we are trying to get the head to do everything. But how is it going to get carried out except through his body? Our minds do not want to accept that because we've been religiously brainwashed instead of New Testament taught. We've been taught how miserable we are, just sinners saved by grace, so unworthy, can't do anything. Yes, Jesus has all the authority, but we don't. Anything that is told about us that is bad, we can accept it. But when we are told anything good, we find it hard to accept. Yes, Christ has the authority all right. If he has it, so do we. If he doesn't, then we don't either. Because we are the body and he is the head. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. He unites himself with the Lord, is one with him in spirit, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16. Being one in Christ, as his body means, whatever Jesus has, we have. His victories are my victories. We are co-laborers with him. We are seated with him and share in his throne now. 1 John chapter 14, verse 14. We are called by the Master to do the works of Jesus. Why? Because we are an extension of him in the earth today, to carry on his ministry in his name until he returns. The Great Commission scripture in Mark chapter 16, verse 15 Jesus said to them, Go into all the world 
and preach the good news to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons. In my name they will speak in new tongues. In my name they will pick up snakes with their hands, and when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. In my name, the name of Jesus, they will place their hands on sick people, and they will get well. After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven and sat at the right hand of God. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere, and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. In Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1, by the faith we see the operation of God the Father. We were raised with Christ when Jesus was resurrected from the dead, so that in the ages to come we would experience the wonderful power of God in our lives. My friends, this belongs to us today. The day of salvation and deliverance and dominion over the devil. We are seated far above the enemy through Jesus Christ. The church has failed to see that we have been exalted with Christ. Jesus is the head and is totally dependent upon his body, us, to carry out his authority over the powers of the air. It has been done through the body of Christ. Matthew chapter 18 verse 18 speaks of binding and loosening, prohibiting the devil from operating. Matthew chapter 18 verse 18 goes like this, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three come together in my name, there I am with them. The truth of the matter is that things happen on the earth because we, the church, allow them to. We have relegated this responsibility over to God due to a misunderstanding of God's sovereignty, that whatever shall be, shall be. Whether it's good or bad, it's all part of God's master plan. This line of thinking is very convenient for Satan to run rampant and unchecked in the earth because the church looks to God to deal with the devil, while God is looking right back at the church expecting her to put the devil in his place. James chapter 4 verse 7, Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 8, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. What many well-meaning Christians fail to factor in is our free will and delegated authority to pray and change current events. It's our responsibility to pray that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Ever since creation, when God gave Adam and Eve the charge to exercise dominion in the earth, according to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, we are still exercising stewardship, authority, and influence in this earth especially now since the devil has been defeated by Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection. If we leave the state of the world up to God and resign ourselves into the seat of apathy, then yes, the world will go to pot at an ever faster rate. What the church does or does not do is what relegates current events, not God's sovereignty. When evil pops its head and we stand by and do nothing, neither will God. However, when we pray and speak the name of Jesus and bind the enemy, the angels start working. God starts moving, but not until we open our mouths. If exercising our God-given authority through Jesus' name in prayer does not make a difference, then how do we reconcile just a sample of the many scriptures that speak on this very subject?
Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 29. The people of the land have used oppressions, committed robbery, and mistreated the poor and needy, and they wrongfully oppressed the stranger. So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A light on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, we read this before, but it bears repeating. I urge you then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. God called us to be world changers with His gospel message, demonstrated in signs and wonders, so that ungodly men and women will say of us as it was in Acts chapter 17 verse 6, These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here also. In Ephesians chapter 1 verse 17, we see God having made an indescribable investment for the benefit of the church. He has made this deposit on which the church has a right to draw from for her every need. Jesus is the head of the church, and we are his body. We are baptized into the head. To the head belongs the name, and the head gives us the body the right to live, walk, and to use the power of that name, the name of Jesus. He has given that name to us, the same name for the early church and for the church today. The Unqualified Use of the Name of Jesus Religion has tried to put limits and conditions upon the use of the name of Jesus. Certainly, it must be used in context with the Bible, so let's look at what scriptures have to say on the subject. Notice the use of whatever, anything, and everything in the following verses. Matthew chapter 18, verse 18. I tell you the truth, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Matthew chapter 21, verse 22. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. Mark chapter 11, verse 24. Jesus said, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. John chapter 14, verse 12. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. If anyone has faith in me, he will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. John chapter 15, verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. John chapter 16, verse 23. In that day you will no longer ask me anything. I tell you the truth, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Mark chapter 9 verse 23. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for him who believes. 
John chapter 15, verse 7. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. When it comes to the principles of Bible interpretation, Scripture interprets Scripture. That's called the analogy of faith. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 14, This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we've asked of Him. God's word is God's will. So using the name of Jesus needs needs to be used in the context of God's word, which is the final authority for all matters that pertain to life and godliness. In John chapter 15, verse 7, Jesus had disclosed a principal key to prayer in releasing authority in the name of Jesus. Being full of God's word is a must, which enables us to direct our attention to matters that are important to God and his kingdom. Without God's word as a guide, using our authority would be like shooting in the dark or being blindfolded. The Bible sets our priorities, our agenda, and our goals, which is of first importance to fulfill the Great Commission and trample upon the works of darkness. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. In John chapter 15, verse 17, and chapter 16, verse 23, we see a form of prayer known as the prayer of petition. It is exercised whenever we use the name of Jesus to ask the Father of God for something. Asking the Father for something in Jesus' name is the same as Jesus himself making the request of the Father on our behalf. Indeed, Jesus is our mediator, or means by which we have access to the Father according to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Jesus not only gives us the use of his name, but he also declares that the prayer prayed in his name will receive his special attention. Jesus is basically saying, whatever you ask the Father in my name, I will endorse it and he will give it to you. Again, it must be based on the word of God. When we demand of the devil to leave, according to John 14 verse 12, Jesus is there to back his name up and make it good. This puts prayer on a purely legal basis, for he has given us the legal right to use his name. As we take our privileges and rights in the new covenant and pray in Jesus' name, it goes right to the throne. So no more wishing and hoping our prayers will be answered. John chapter 16 verse 26, In that day you will ask in my name. I am not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I have come from God. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. When we pray in Jesus' name, it gets the same attention from the Father as though Jesus himself was doing the praying. This places prayer not only on legal grounds, but makes it a business proposition. When we pray, we take Jesus' place here on earth to carry out his will. He takes our place before the Father. The name of Jesus is not only used in our prayer life, but must also be used in our combat against the unseen forces that surround us. In Mark chapter 16, verse 15, He said unto them, Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. 
Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. Notice the word believe. In my name they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands, and when they drink deadly poison it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. The statement Jesus made, and these signs will accompany those who believe, in the Greek literally means the believing ones, will in my name do these things, in which case every child of God is a believing one in Christ. The right to use his name is a conferred blessing to the church. It is a right that belongs to every child of God. Matthew chapter 20 verse 18, Jesus is revealing his part in the Great Commission. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. I am sending you out to make disciples of all nations. I am with you always to the very end of the age. Let's now look at the name of Jesus in prayer. In 1 John chapter 16 verse 23, up to that time the disciples had not asked for anything in his name. We ask the Father in the name of Jesus and not for Jesus' sake. Concerning the latter, there is no directive in the New Testament concerning prayer for Jesus' sake. Traditionally, praying along these lines have resulted in well-intentioned praying, but to no avail. Our prayers spoken in Jesus' name receive special attention. This is the prayer of petition that he endorses. Unfortunately, many Christians have been religiously brainwashed instead of New Testament taught. We have watered down the promises of God and tacked on something Jesus did not say. Concerning answers to prayer, folks will say, He will answer your prayer all right, if it's His will. But it might not be His will. Yet we do not find that kind of talk in the New Testament. Sadly, they go on their way without answers to their prayers, because their prayers were not prayers of faith on the Word. Faith begins where the will of God is known, and God's Word is God's will. If that was not bad enough, these same folks, having nullified their prayer life with doubt and unbelief, will go on and reason why their prayers were not answered. Well, it must not have been his will since he did not answer it. Because if it was his will, he would have done it. They'll go on to say, Well, you know, God's ways are higher than ours. He is sovereign. His paths are too wondrous for us to know. Sometimes it's yes, and sometimes it's no. The Lord gives, and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I'm sorry, but this religious jargon is really dangerous. Taking Old Testament scriptures out of context and trying to oppose them on the new covenant believer. Under the old covenant, they were servants without the new birth, sonship or Holy Spirit within them. We have a better covenant with better promises. Jesus calls us friends, that we may know the Father's will. So now he reveals his thoughts and his ways to us. 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. This is the confidence that we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we've asked of him. John chapter 15 verse 12. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one in this that he laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other.
Hebrews chapter 3, verse 5. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, testifying to what would be said in the future. But Christ is faithful as a son over God's house. We are his house if we hold on to our courage and the hope of which we boast. Now, I want you to know something in Matthew chapter 11, verse 11. Jesus said, Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So Jesus was saying that John the Baptist was the greatest of all men in the Old Testament. Yet the least member of the new covenant is greater than John the Baptist, thus greater than all those who are under the Old Testament. Greater in the sense of the new covenant being a better covenant than the old. Folks will say concerning prayer, God always answers, but sometimes it's yes and sometimes it's no. Where is that in the Bible? If we ask in line with his word, we have confidence that it will always be yes. You see, religious folks have added to the Bible to make it say something that is not there. This is so much more than just semantics. I have personally known wonderful, well-meaning Christians who have died of cancer thinking it was God's will for them to suffer under Satan's cruelty. Remember 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, which is his word, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we've asked of him. So how are we to interpret that scripture? If we pray in line with God's word, then it's 100% guaranteed it'll be answered by God. It's not a sometimes yes or sometimes no. We have another powerful scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 that supports the same principle. But as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him it has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Notice verse 20. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. All the promises of God are yes and amen, not sometimes yes and sometimes no. Extreme sovereignty teaching that has crept into the church has really paralyzed Christians' prayer life, and it puts in doubt and unbelief concerning God's will to answer our prayers that are being prayed in line with God's word. These doctrines of demons like these have crept into the church and have wreaked much havoc. So please understand my earnest desire to correct the record. I am weary of seeing my brothers and sisters in Christ being victimized and ripped off in life by the lies of the enemy. Let's apply the human reasoning to Matthew chapter 18, verse 19. Again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about asking for anything, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. However, sometimes it will be yes, and sometimes it will be no. Other times it might be later. You see how we have added to the Bible when we use this sovereignty teaching of sometimes yes and sometimes no, and have tried to come up with an explanation as to why our prayers were not answered? The main reason these prayers do not work is because the the simple instructions of God's word were not followed. The word works when we work it as directed. Why not just admit we missed it and get in the word? 
Imagine applying this sometimes yes, sometimes no doctrine to salvation. Well, you know, sometimes it's God's will for a person to be saved, and sometimes it's not God's will for a person to be saved. Again, that contradicts Scripture, where it says in 1 Timothy chapter 2 that God's not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. We serve the God of all, every, and always, not the God of sometimes, maybe, and if you're lucky. Romans chapter 3, verse 3. What if some did not have faith? Will their lack of faith nullify God's faithfulness? Not at all. Let God be true and every man a liar. As it is written, so that you may be proved right when you speak and prevail when you judge. Just because God's word doesn't work in a person's life doesn't mean God changed his mind or his word failed. We are the variable in the equation. God never changes, neither does his word. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. I would rather hear the truth as to why it didn't work than to be patronized by religious folks making excuses and spiritualizing the situation. This practice does a huge amount of harm. Because the next time we pray about something, our minds have been filled with religious doubt and unbelief and become stumbling blocks in our prayer life. Consider what James said, if a man has doubts when he asks, he should not think he'll receive anything from the Lord. James chapter 1 verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. This scripture makes it really clear that that person's prayer was not answered, not because it was sometimes yes or sometimes no, or because God sovereignly changed his mind. No, it was that person's fault. They were double-minded. That's why they didn't receive. Just like when Jesus went to his own hometown, it says that he could not do any mighty miracle there because of their lack of faith. It wasn't because it wasn't God's will to do miracles. It was because of their lack of faith that they didn't receive. Remember, God honors his word and he shows no favoritism. Being a good Christian does not compensate for doubt and ignorance concerning prayer. Folks think that God will make an exception for their sloppy believing in prayer. They'll say, well, God knows what I mean. If we are praying for nothing in particular, guess what? That is what we're going to get, nothing in particular. Hebrews chapter eleven six. And without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. On a side note, it is one thing to pray for ourselves and immediate family, but no one through prayer and faith can push something off on someone else circumventing their free will. Otherwise, we would get everyone saved. So when it comes to prayer for others, their will, unbelief, or doubt can nullify the effects of our prayers for them. Thank God someone else's doubt will not affect our prayers for ourselves unless we allow them to. Another point worth mentioning, faith does not mean we can push our body and overwork it. Nor can we eat irresponsibly or consume toxic substances like nicotine, drugs, and alcohol. Not only are our bodies the temple of the Holy Spirit, but they are also mortal. They require proper sleep, diet, and exercise. Faith is never meant to be an excuse for violating natural laws concerning our bodies. Someone could say, well, can't you believe God to heal you? Not when you put the Lord to the test. 
It's like hitting your thumb with a hammer on purpose and say, well, I believe God will heal my thumb. That is wrong. Faith does not deny the existence of circumstances, but denies its right to lord itself over our lives. In Romans chapter 4, verse 19, concerning Abraham and the promise of God in having a child, it says that without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. His faith was in God's ability to honor his word. When believing God for healing, keep taking the medicine until your healing manifests. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 5, Then the devil took Jesus to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. In John chapter 16, verse 23, Jesus said, In that day you will no longer ask me anything. I tell you the truth, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. In that day you will ask in my name. The above passages of Scripture are referring to the prayer petition, where we ask the Father in the name of Jesus. However, there is a big difference between the prayer of petition of John chapter 16, verse 23, and the release of spiritual authority that is mentioned in John chapter 14, verse 14. Oftentimes, Christians mix the two scriptures up and assume they are both talking about the prayer petition, but they're not. John chapter 14, verse 12 states, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. In the latter passage, you are not praying, but you are using the authority of the name of Jesus to heal the sick, to cast out devils, and to set men and women free. What we see in the book of Acts is a distinct pattern of laying on of hands on the sick and commanding the devil to leave. Another staggering fact was that the name was used largely in healing men and women who were not Christians. It evidently was God's method of advertising the gospel message. In most cases, having had a little taste of the goodness of God through the healing of their bodies, sealed the deal for them to want all of salvation for their lives. Acts chapter 8 verse 5, Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed, so there was great joy in that city. In Romans chapter 2, verse 4, Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness and goodness leads you to repentance? 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 17, But let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. There is a wonderful principle concerning the ministry of all believers called stewardship. We are carriers of God's grace, taking cool water to a dry and thirsty land, yearning for the genuine power of God and the moving of the Spirit. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 8, Jesus said, Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, freely you have received, freely give. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, 
Now, brothers, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, Do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not take pride in one man over against another. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? John chapter 15 verse 5 I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. Second Corinthians chapter 4 verse 6 For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay, to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Everything we have in God we have received for our benefit, but more than that, it is also for the benefit of others who would be recipients of our ministry for the glory of God. In Acts chapter 2 verse 32, Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you by this kind of hard work we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. Now going back to John chapter 14 verse 13. The word ask would be better translated demand. Now, we're not demanding of Jesus. Rather, we're demanding of the devil in the name of Jesus. Whatever we demand in the name of Jesus, the Lord himself backs us up in exercising the will of God in the earth. For example, in Acts chapter 3, in dealing with the crippled man, Peter took him by the hand and just demanded in the name of Jesus for the man to get up and walk. Notice that Peter did not ask God to do anything through the prayer petition. When we ask the Father in Jesus' name, that's the prayer of petition. But notice in John chapter 14, Jesus didn't say to ask the Father in his name. He was using his name in the prayer of authority where we demand the devil to leave someone's life or destroy the works of the devil. So John chapter 14 verse 13 is not a prayer of petition in operation. In speaking the name of Jesus for healing, Jesus was there to release his power to get the man up and walking through his name. Acts chapter 3 verse 16, By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him as you can all see. It's all in the name of Jesus. That's where the power and authority is. There's no name given to men under heaven by we, by which we must be saved. We get saved through the name of Jesus. We pray to the Father in the name of Jesus. We use the name of Jesus in the prayer of authority. The name of Jesus contains all power and authority in heaven and earth. In regards to casting out demons, nowhere does the Bible tell us to pray to God about it. Rather, we are just to cast them out in Jesus' name when encountered. No need to ask for permission. Why? Because it's already God's will to cast out demons and destroy the work of the devil. Notice in Luke chapter 10 verse 17, The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. The use of the name of Jesus. There are four kinds of asking when it comes to using the name of Jesus. 
It may be a surprise to you that John chapter 14 verse 13 is not talking about prayer or the prayer petition. If John chapter 16 verse 23 and John chapter 14 verse 13 were saying the same thing concerning prayer, then we would have a contradiction. John chapter 16 says to no longer ask the Father for anything, but rather to ask the Father in the name of Jesus. On the other hand, John chapter 14 verse 13 tells us that we are to ask Jesus for anything in his name. So which is it? Well, the Bible does not contradict itself. In John chapter 16 verse 23, Jesus said, In that day you will no longer ask me for anything. I tell you the truth, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Now in contrast, in John chapter 14 verse 13, Jesus said, And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. As I have already pointed out, that John chapter 16, verse 23 addresses the prayer of petition. Whatever we ask the Father in Jesus' name, he will give it to us. We have the use of the name of Jesus in our prayer life, and the name guarantees an answer. The word ask in John chapter 14, verse 13, in the Greek means, whatever you shall demand as your rights and privileges, that shall I do. We can't demand what we don't know. That is where we failed, lack of knowledge. We do not know what we have. What we have heard was a psychology of unbelief from occupational ministers, which is a big difference from faith in God. By believing with our heart and not head knowledge, it is our destiny as believers to use the name of Jesus to heal, deliver, and get people saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. In the book of Acts, healing was just demanded as opposed to asked for in prayer. We have dominion over the works of the enemy, sickness and disease. When folks come into prayer line for healing, I don't ask the Father to heal them. He's already healed them. I demand through the laying on of hands in the name of Jesus for that sickness to leave their body. It's the same thing to go into sinner and say, Father, I ask you to save this person. No, the salvation has already been provided for the forgiveness of sins. What is Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead. So we don't pray for people to get saved in the sense that we're talking to a sinner. We tell the sinner to confess Jesus as Lord because salvation has already been provided and healing is part of salvation. So we don't have to ask for healing. We just claim it. Just like we claim Jesus as our Lord, we can claim healing for our bodies. John chapter 16 is talking about the prayer of petition, but John chapter 14 verse 13 is talking about the prayer of authority. Do you see the difference between the two? This is where so many Christians have missed it. Instead of demanding of the devil to stop oppressing people with sickness or whatever, we are asking the Father or Jesus to deal with the devil. Jesus already defeated the devil 2,000 years ago. As a matter of fact, Jesus has done all he's going to do with the devil. It's now up to us, in the name of Jesus, to enforce Satan's defeat. We're going about it all wrong. In dealing with the devil, the prayer for God to do something won't get answered. God has authorized us to deal with these problems. God won't do anything except back us up when we demand the devil to leave in Jesus' name. Remember the policeman example we used earlier? 
Wouldn't it be silly for the policeman to ask the mayor to do something about the traffic jam? No, the policeman has been authorized on behalf of the mayor to act on his or her behalf. It's the same thing for us in using the name of Jesus. Here is a rule of thumb or principle to keep in mind. Ask God for things the Bible tells us to ask for, like wisdom in James 1.5 literally tells us to ask for it. When dealing with the areas of our Christian life that are forever settled, like redemption, we don't need to ask for things that are already ours and we've already received. Take healing, for instance. It already belongs to us, so we don't have to ask for it again. We do need to claim it as ours in Jesus' name, appropriating it by faith through the confession of God's word, speaking God's word as fact, that we already have it as ours. That's how we apply it in our lives. There's no prayer of petition in this instance. The name of Jesus to the believer is like the keys to our own car. We already have the keys. So why are we asking somebody else for them? Just use them. Because they already belong to us. The name of Jesus is ours to use for the glory of God. As Jesus said, freely you have received, freely give. Now going back to John chapter 14. Verse 13, we're talking about the different kinds of ask. In the Bible, we see that ask can be used in the context, which properly means to request as a favor, to ask for, like in Matthew chapter 21, verse 24. The second kind of ask is interpreted as a demand, strictly a demand for something due, to demand back, as we were looking at in John chapter 14, verse 13. And another version of ask is to inquire, implies a search for something hidden, to seek after, to test thoroughly by questions, or interrogate, or to examine, search. And the last version of ask is to understand, to question, or to inquire, the idea of urgent need, petition, beseech, or to pray to, to make a request, or to learn. Let's now look at the place of faith in the use of the name. The key is faith in his name that releases the power of God. We know the name, but our faith in the name has been very weak. Most Christians believe the name of Jesus belongs to them, but having faith in the name is not the same. That is why we are not performing the same miracles they had in the early church, because our faith in the name is not the same as theirs. So if faith comes by hearing the word of God, how will our faith in the name of Jesus increase? Well, simply by studying and hearing what the word of God has to say about the name of Jesus. We need to get a better revelation of the name of Jesus. So what did Peter and John have when they used the name compared to us today? The same power because Jesus has not changed. If we try to use the name without studying out what it means and get the revelation of it in our spirit, through Bible meditation, it won't work for us. It's not a magic charm or a rabbit's foot. We have to know what backs that name. It belongs to us, so we need to know it and use it and live in victory. If we could just get these truths down into our hearts, as we feed upon it, little by little, it will become a part of our inner consciousness. Once it does, it will be said of us as it was said of the Old Testament. There are giants in the land. These truths will make us spiritual giants. The key is believing with the heart. But the word goes through our heads first before they get into our spirit. Our mind is the door to our heart. 
Once these truths dawn on our hearts, we will become spiritual giants. The church has caught a glimpse of these things, but has really yet to fully enter into it. That is when the exploits come. As we continually feed along these lines and live in this place, it will become a lifestyle of living in our dominion in the name of Jesus according to Philippians chapter 2, where every knee must bow. Heaven and earth and hell recognize what Jesus did in those three worlds. All that Jesus did, all his power, authority, deity, achievements are in his name. His name spoken from our lips will work the same now as it did for the early church. These things will not work if we try to exercise it from a purely head knowledge standpoint, or just because we are trying it. That name works in all three worlds because that is what we deal with on a daily basis. Loosening things from heaven, as spoken in the Lord's Prayer. Binding things on earth concerning the works of darkness in Matthew chapter 18, verse 18. In the name of Jesus, we, we can break the power of the devil over unbelievers and claim their salvation. However, this won't work until we get the revelation of it in our spirit. Do we really believe it? This revelation won't come without studying, feeding, and meditating on God's word concerning this subject. Yes, it takes work to study to show ourselves approved. As we study this material, we may not get the revelation of it immediately. But if we continue to feed, study, and meditate along these lines, sooner or later it will dawn in on our spirit and will work in our life, like second nature. However, if we throw it away and give up on it, it will never work for us. Let's continually pray the epistle prayers, like in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17, that God would give unto us a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him and His Word, that He would enlighten the eyes of our understanding and we know the hope of His calling. What of his glorious inheritance in saints and light? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe? That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him up from the dead. That we may know this power that is for us and working through us who believe. Jesus is Lord of the three worlds, and so are we in Christ through his name. The key is the opening of our spiritual eyes. That we may be enlightened. Seek the knowledge of God's word. God's word works from the heart of man because the Bible is a spiritual book. Jesus said, My words, they are spirit and they are life in John 6.63. The mind can take a picture of what is in our heart so we can reference it and make mention of it. But the working and operations of spiritual truths comes out of our spirit. That is where the kingdom of God is, is within us, according to Luke chapter 17, verse 21. When we read Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20 through 23, we see that the God, the Father, has made Jesus head over all things for the church, for our benefit. So the church can walk in the realm of authority. In the name of Jesus is found the fullness of the Godhead, the wealth of the eternities, and the love and the, of the heart of the Father God. That name is given to us to use against the devil in prayer, praise, and worship. This is only the beginning of the wonders of the greatness of the value that is in the name of Jesus. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10, it says that his intent, God's intent, was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord.
we need to realize that mental ascent, simply parroting the name or just trying it out to see if it works, when we know what the word says and act on it from our heart, it will always work. Sticking with it no matter what the circumstances looks like. The fourfold right to use the name of Jesus. Let's look at four reasons why we have the right to use the name of Jesus. Number one, we are born into the family of God, and the name of Jesus belongs to the family. It's the family name. We have been baptized into Christ, his body, through the Holy Spirit when we were born again, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. Number three, the name of Jesus was conferred upon us by Jesus, who gave us the power of attorney to use his name on his behalf, according to Mark chapter 16, verse 15. And number four, we are commissioned as his ambassadors to go and herald this name among the nations, according to Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. Since this name has been conferred upon us, we don't have to ask permission to use the name of Jesus. It has already been given to us. The use of the, of the name of Jesus is ours to use as children of God. It is legally ours and cannot be challenged. If I had a thousand dollars in the bank, that money is already mine. I don't have to apply for it or ask permission to have access to it. Faith is the creative force of God to take God's word, which is unseen, and transform it into the substance or realization of what I want in the seen realm. Faith in God's word is the action of making a withdrawal on what I need according to the promises of God that are yes in Christ. This principle of faith applies to anything that already belongs to us in redemption, healing, peace, prosperity, etc. Exercising faith to receive in this context is received by just claiming the reality of it in our lives in the name of Jesus. That's how we got saved when I confessed Jesus as my Lord and believed in my heart that God raised him from the dead. See, salvation is is given or received through the confession of the name of Jesus. So in so doing, we are making withdrawals in an unlimited account. Our redemption account cannot be overdrawn. In the case of the name of Jesus, I don't have to hope for it. I already have it. It already belongs to me. It's already in my possession, like the $1,000 in the bank account. All that is left for me to do is to just make a demand on it through the name of Jesus for the purpose of establishing God's will in the world. However, cashing in on the name of Jesus is not automatic any more than accessing our money from the bank. I have to learn what is involved to make such a withdrawal. There are actions I have to take, principles that must be followed. The Bible gives us such guidelines on how to activate the name of Jesus. This training is absolutely crucial in the successful deployment and operation of the name. A lack of knowledge in this area will ensure defeat as much as it does in our everyday life in this world. The Word of God is our instruction book. Follow those directions, and we are guaranteed success. In the natural, a bank on this earth is a secure place to keep treasure safe. Spiritually speaking, God has placed all the treasure of the kingdom of God in our spirit, inside of us. Our very own spirit man is the vault. In Luke chapter 17, verse 20, once having been asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the kingdom of God does not come with it with your careful observation, nor will people say here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is within you. Second Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21, now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us 
set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 5. Now it is God who made us for this very purpose and has given us the spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you are marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13. What you heard from me, keep as a pattern of sound teaching, with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. The key to successful Christian living is to take what God has deposited on the inside of us and make it real in our everyday lives for others to see and to be blessed. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 22, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Colossians chapter 3 verse 9, Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Romans chapter 13 verse 14, Rather clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. In Jesus is found all the treasures of heaven, and the name of Jesus is the key that gives us access that unlocks these unlimited resources in our lives. Since Jesus lives in us by the person of the Holy Spirit, all this unimaginable power, glory, and riches of heaven are inside of us just waiting to be released. We just need to speak God's word in the name of Jesus to make a withdrawal to release the kingdom of God within us into the earth. Just as confession is made unto salvation, we too need to speak the name of Jesus to release the power that's behind that name. In Colossians chapter 1 verse 27, To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Colossians chapter 2 verse 2, My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I believe the hour will come when large companies of believers will live this simple life of faith, live it unconsciously, live it daily. They will live in this upper realm where they will see in the name of Jesus the fullness of the authority and power that was in Christ when he walked on the earth. We are now in the babyhood stage, We are trying to have faith without fully understanding what it means. We are trying to believe, and we meet together in our services, each one urging the other to do what he does not do himself. It would seem in many cases that we are participating in a game of bluff. Are we using scriptural expressions and high-sounding phrases that have no meaning to our spirit? Thank God there are some who are coming to see this new light, which will only 
come by intensive study and meditation on God's Word, building these biblical truths into our spirits like pillars of revelation knowledge. Too many of us are listening to preachers and teachers getting fat on the Word with head knowledge. These are those whom Jesus has referred to as hearers of the Word and not doers. Mentally acquiescing to spiritual truths without them registering on our hearts where they are destined to work and produce life within us that radiates and permeates out of our very being and the world around us. In James chapter 2, verse 20, James said, You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Luke chapter 8 verse 20. Someone told Jesus, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. He replied, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. The secret is found in hiding God's word in our hearts. The word of faith principle that makes the parable of the sower reality. As the truth of God's word becomes a stronghold in our life, we will begin to rise into a new realm of life in Christ. When we meet demons, sickness, and all other manners of oppression on the battlefield for the souls and lives of men and women, we will conquer them and enforce Satan's defeat that Jesus accomplished 2,000 years ago. We will be able to enjoy the fruits of the finished work of Christ and enter into the riches of his inheritance of the saints in light. Let's not just try it, dabble and play with it. Let's get serious about God's word and make it a lifestyle. Standing on God's word no matter what, if healing belongs to us, and it does, let's act like it and talk like it so. The name of Jesus makes it available to us. The name is ours, and in that name is all the help and all the victory, all the power and all the health that we would ever need. Do not try. Do not struggle. Just use it. Use that name. Speak it with the same freedom that you use with your own personal checkbook because it already belongs to you. Speaking the name through a revelation of what it means in your heart is all that is required. Acts chapter 4 verse 12, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Parried in the name of Jesus, like secondhand information, will produce no results. We must develop our faith in the name of Jesus through God's word on a personal level. It needs to become an unconscious kind of faith that is an operation in our everyday life. It becomes instinctive or second nature to speak the name in every life situation. This faith in the name gets in our hearts by extensive study and meditation on God's word. Building this revelation of the name in our heart must become a priority for our lives. I know I've said this over and over again, but again, faith comes by hearing. Mouthing the name of Jesus like a parrot 
like Polly wants another cracker, will produce no results. Remember back in Acts chapter 19, verse 13, it bears repeating again. Some Jews went around driving out evil spirits, tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, In the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and I know about Paul, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. So what does it mean to believe with our heart? Or how do we know God's word has been hidden in our heart, and not just our head? Well, in Romans chapter 4, verse 21, when faith gets into our spirit, we become fully persuaded in the face of extreme contradictory circumstances. Faith operating from the spirit of the believer will look death straight in the eye and deny it any claim, right or place in one's life. It is fearless, unmovable, solid as a rock, an anchor for the soul. Romans chapter 4 verse 18, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as has been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he promised. In Hebrews chapter 6 verse 16, says, Men swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. At the second coming of Jesus, it will not require any act of faith on our part, neither will require any effort to receive our new glorified bodies. These events are driven solely by God's sovereign will. Believe it or not, these events will surely come to pass. However, believing the word in advance concerning these things provide a great benefit of hope and assurance concerning the future and motivation to persevere for the present. These things, among many other things, are part of God's eternal program, and nothing can stop them from coming to pass. However, God does solicit our involvement in His program, like a natural father includes his children in the family business. So it is in, the, in God's family. God is about bringing salvation to a lost and dying world, and we are privileged with the task of representing the kingdom of God on this earth and to make disciples of all nations. Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. When it comes to the name of Jesus, we need biblical understanding of what it means and how to use it. The Bible is our instruction book for all things that pertain to life and conduct. When we are born into the family of God, the right to use the name and the privilege to use it came th- to us through the new birth. Today, the works of Jesus can still be seen in the world whenever believers speak his name. 
the wonderful mystery of setting the captives free. Jesus began 2,000 years ago, continues on through his body all around the world. The devil thought he had problems with one Jesus long ago. Since then, he has had to deal with millions of spirit-anointed Christians following in the Master's footsteps. They're everywhere. They're everywhere. In other words, today, Jesus multiplies himself as rapidly as he multiplies the church throughout the world. For the weakest member of his body today has as much legal right to all the grace, might, power, blessing, health, healing, and life wrapped up in the name of Jesus as the person who bore that name 2,000 years ago. John chapter 12, verse 23. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. All that Jesus was, his name is. All that Jesus was, that name will ever be during this dispensation. That name has lost none of the power of the Son of Man who bore it. All the authority that is invested in that name is given to us to bring glory to the Father, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. His name being present in our lives is equivalent to Him being present. His name will do all that Jesus would have done during His life and ministry on earth. If a person does not know what a car is and is given keys to a new car, they will not know what to do with it or realize any benefit from having a car given to them. However, given some training on how to drive a car and maximize it, this understanding of automobiles will transform their life. The name of Jesus belongs to every believer, but until we have received revelation knowledge of what and how the name works, it will have no benefit in our lives, even though the awesome potential is there. So what does the name mean to the Father, to the church, and to Satan? To the Father, it must mean more than our heart's and minds will ever grasp. But we can suggest a little of the wealth that the Father has stored in that name. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 25, I have become its servant by the commission of God given me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end, I labor struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works inside of me. My purpose is that that me may know and be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. When Jesus gave us the legal right to use his name, the Father knew that the name would imply when breathed in prayer by, the, by his children, and it's his joy to recognize that name. The name also is available for unbelievers to call upon and receive salvation and deliverance from the authority of darkness. In Romans chapter 10, verse 12, For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Acts 4.12, I love repeating this scripture. 
Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. His name is equivalent to himself. In Luke chapter 9, verse 48, Whoever receives this little child in my name receives me, Jesus said. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you all will be great. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17, we find a prayer given to the church by the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul, primarily that we may receive spiritual revelation of what God the Father has done for us in Jesus. This prayer not only reveals aspects of our glorious redemption, but also, when prayed, paves the way for us to receive spiritual wisdom concerning it. Clearly, it's the Father's desire that we come to know and experience the fullness of His grace manifest through Jesus in His death, burial, and resurrection. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in our Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparable great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. This is a powerful prayer given to the church to pray for other believers on a regular basis. I pray this prayer. I love this prayer. A prayer for the impartation of spiritual wisdom and revelation that we may know, number one, him better. Number two, the hope to which he has called us. Number three, the riches of his glorious inheritance. And number four, his incomparable great power for us who believe. God has given to Jesus the name that is within it, the fullness of the Godhead, the wealth of the eternities, and the love of the heart of the Father God. And that name was given to us as our right to receive salvation, to be healed in our bodies, to use that name against our enemies, the kingdom of darkness. Use it in our prayer of petition. Use it in our praise and worship, the wonderful name of Jesus. The power in the name of Jesus that has been given to us can be compared with the same power that God the Father used when he had raised Jesus Christ up from the dead. At that time, all the kingdom of darkness was trying to oppose the resurrection. That power also seated Jesus at the Father's own right hand, the highest place in the universe. That power is also contained in the name of Jesus. When we speak the name, we release the power. The Father knows the power behind that name, the name that is spoken from the lips of his people, and the Father will back it up. There is power in the name of Jesus. When the name of Jesus is used in the prayer of petition, it's like God is giving us a signed check on the resources of heaven and is asking us to fill in the amount. Folks try to be humble and will write just $2.50. Jesus said, ask and you'll receive 
in John chapter 16, verse 24. Small checks are written due to a small vision of Jesus and his name. Jesus signed a blank check and gave it to us. We have lived on such a low level of life. Whenever we give a hard luck story or talk about how sick we are or what a hard time we're having with trials, we are bragging on the devil. Remember that he is the author of all those things. We need to study all we can concerning the name of Jesus in the New Testament because it will change our lives. The name of Jesus is the key. I like to use the key analogy. It's worth repeating, but from another angle this time. You have a car key in your pocket and you can unlock the door. You have access. When you use the key, you can get in the car and drive off. Without the key, you could not get in and drive the car. So did you pray about the key? hoping that it would work? Turn in prayer requests. Folks, I pr- pray for me that this car key of mine will work. Pray that I'll have enough faith to use it. You don't think about it. You just use it. Remember, the key is yours and the car is yours. It's the key that does the work. Jesus has given us the key through his name. You are not going to heal them without the key. So no pressure since you, you can't heal them by yourself anyway. Just let the key do the work. Let the power invested in the name of Jesus deliver them from sickness and disease. What a rest in God that we have. The name of Jesus is the key. It's already mine. I don't have to ask for it. Jesus gave me his name, the key that unlocks heaven, authority to bind and to loose in his name. So let's anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord, according to James chapter 5, verse 14. Finally, let's look at the use of the name. It would behoove us to see in the scriptures how the name of Jesus was used as it pertains to the plan of salvation and its revelation to the believer in his or her Christian life. In Matthew chapter 1 verse 21, she gave birth to a son and gave him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. The name Jesus is inseparably connected with salvation. Acts chapter 4 verse 12 is one of my favorite scriptures. Only through the name of Jesus can a sinner come to God and receive salvation. John chapter 14 verse 6, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Christianity would have a new element about it if we taught the people according to the word what it meant to believe on the name as a sinner, and then believe in the name as a believer. As a believer, I am baptized into his name, according to Romans chapter 6, verse 3, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. And then I walk and live in the name, according to Acts three sixteen. So concerning salvation, let's look at Luke chapter 24, verse 46. Then Jesus said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it will be necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and on the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. In John chapter 1 verse 12, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of a human decision or a husband's will but born of God. John chapter 3 verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, 
But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Acts chapter 2 verse 38, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 4 verse 12, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Romans chapter 10 verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with your heart that you believe and are justified, and with your mouth that you confess and are saved. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 11, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. 1 John chapter 2 verse 2, I write to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. 1 John chapter 3, verse 23, And this is his command, to believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. The command in 1 John chapter 3, verse 23, that we should believe in the name, literally means that we should believe the name. The proposition in is not in the Greek that we should believe the name, believe it for what it stands for, believe it for all that it means in the heart of the Father, that we believe the name. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. The name of Jesus is used concerning water baptism. In Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 10, verse 48, So he ordered that they be baptized into the name of Jesus Christ. Not only are we saved by the name, but the believer is water baptized into the name. In Acts 2 verse 38, we also see that through the name, the gift of the Holy Spirit is made available. Water baptism symbolizes a break from the world and a new identification with the name of Jesus. This includes all the stigma from the world and all the recognition of heaven. We've already talked about the prayer petition in the name of Jesus, but it bears repeating to go over some of these scriptures again. In John chapter 15, verse 16, Jesus said, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. In John chapter 16, verse 23, In that day you will no longer ask me anything. I tell you the truth, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. John chapter 16, verse 26, In that day you will ask in my name. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 20, Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 18, verse 5, And whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. This is the first time that man has ever been taught to pray in the name of a mediator. Here Jesus gives his disciples the unique privilege of praying in his name. Up to that time, they had prayer through the high priest. Now they were to pray through this new high priest. 
Wherever they go, whatever they do, they are to carry with them the name of this one who is seated at that right hand of the Father. Jesus says that the Father is glorified in his Son by our praying and asking in his name. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father to endorse our petitions when they come up to the Father in his name, as long as they're in line with the word. This is the great charter promise in the name of Jesus Christ. In this, we can plainly see the legal foundation for a wonderful prayer life for the church, a legal right to use the name of Jesus without any restrictions. If we are children of God, all that is in the name belongs to us. It is not a question of our worthiness or lack thereof. It is a question of his standing in heaven on our behalf, and as sons and daughters of the Most High, we can take our place and claim our rights in this glorious inheritance. The name of Jesus is used throughout the scriptures concerning healing. In Acts chapter 3, verse 6, Then Peter said, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped up to his feet and began to walk. In Acts chapter 3, verse 16, By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him as you can all see. In Acts chapter 9, verse 33, There was a man named Arnaeus, a paralytic who had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and take care of your mat. Immediately Aeneas got up. All those who lived in Lydia and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. In James chapter 5, verse 14, Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with the oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up, and if he has sinned, he will be forgiven. The early church uses the name of Jesus in connection with the sick. It would seem that they did not pray for the sick per se, but rather that they would have laid hands upon them in Jesus' name. Or as as it was at the gate beautiful, they said, In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. At Peter's conversion in Acts chapter 9, verse 15, where God had sent Ananias to baptize Paul, he says this in Acts chapter 9, verse 15, But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings, and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. The name of Jesus became the impetus for Paul's ministry to the Gentiles. The name was in the hands of Paul like the rod was in the hand of Moses. Now, if the Gentiles and Jews could have stopped the early church from using the name of Jesus, they would rob the church of its supernatural power. And like Samson, when his hair was cut, they would have become as common men. In Acts chapter 9, verse 27, But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord, and that the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. The name of Jesus is used in exercising authority and dominion over the devil. In John chapter 14, verse 12, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing, 
he will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask or demand me of for anything in my name, and I will do it. Acts chapter 16, verse 18. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the Spirit left her. In Acts chapter 19, verse 13. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, In the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Paul's ministry in the name of Jesus was so outstanding, the miracles so pronounced, that even wicked men and sorcerers attempted to use it. Through that name, mighty things were worked, which brought much glory to God and to the furtherance of the gospel throughout the known world at that time. Isn't it ironic that at one time Paul had tried to destroy the name? In Acts 26 verse 9, he said, I too was convinced that I must do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. From this scripture, we see that all of Christianity is contained in the name of Jesus. That name has lost none of its authority, none of its power. The name of Jesus belongs to us now, today. Mark chapter 16 verse 17 In the Great Commission, Jesus said, And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons. Luke chapter 10, verse 17, The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Matthew chapter 18, verse 19, Jesus said, Again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three come together in my name, there I am with them. Mark chapter 9, verse 38, Teacher, said John, we saw a man driving out demons in your name, and we told him to stop, because he was not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said. No one who does a miracle in my name. Notice that. Jesus said, No one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. I tell you the truth. Anyone who gives a cup of cold water in my name because you belong to Christ will certainly not lose his reward. Can you see how integral the name of Jesus is to the church? Even with church discipline, we see in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6, In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers, to keep away from every brother who is idle and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another, so that there may be no divisions among you, so that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 4. When you are assembled in the name of our Lord Jesus, and I am with you in spirit, and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan, so that the sinful nature may be destroyed, but his spirit saved on the day of the Lord. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 12. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the bread they eat. The name of Jesus is used extensively in preaching and teaching. In Acts chapter 4, verse 18, Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. 
for we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. In Acts chapter 5, verse 40, they called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Acts chapter 9, verse 27, and he preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. Acts chapter 15, verse 26, men who risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The early church was threatened not to preach or teach in the name of Jesus more than once. What a strange hush must have come upon the hearts of the disciples when they realized as they gathered in their little home meetings that the name was the center around which everything revolved, that their prayers were addressed through that name, and in that name the sick were healed. It was in that name that demons were cast out, and in that name they worshiped God. All the work of the early church was done in the name of Jesus. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 15. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. In Mark chapter 16 verse 17. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands, and and they will drink deadly poison, and it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people, and they will get well, all in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, Christians will drive out demons. Again, speak with new tongues. Be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If they should eat or drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people, and in the name of Jesus, drive it out, and they will get well. Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of our Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 20, Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy, together with all those everywhere who call in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Obviously, we can see through these scriptures the prominent role that the name of Jesus had within the early church. It was interwoven within the very fabric of their faith and should be with us today. The name of Jesus touched every phase of church life taking precedence in their thoughts, prayer, and in their preaching. Sadly, the church today is on the most part ignorant of the power invested in the name of Jesus. May the Lord open the eyes of our hearts, that we may know the riches of the glory of God that are hidden in that name. All Jesus was, all he did, all he is, and all that he will ever be is in that name for us to use now, today. Jesus is healing for us now. He satisfied the claims of justice and became our righteousness. He is our righteousness now. He tasted death for every person so we can be partakers of the life of God, eternal life, which means receiving the very nature of God through the new birth is for us now, today. Today is the day of salvation. 
Jesus is our life now. He gave us his life, and he gave us that life that we may live in him. He is our healing. He is our health. He is our victory. He is our all in all, as it's stated in Acts chapter 17, verse 28. For in him we live and move and have our being. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And when he gave us the right to use his name to heal the sick, it was simply that we might bring on the scene by the use of that name the fullness of his finished work and to show forth his glory by the continuation of his ministry of destroying the works of Satan and setting the captives free. In Luke chapter 4 verse 16, Jesus went to Nazareth where he had been brought up and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom As he stood up to read, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unscrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened upon him, and he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In John chapter 14, verse 12, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Son may bring glory to the Father, You may ask or demand for anything in my name, and I will do it. Do you see the connection between Luke chapter 4 verse 16 and John chapter 14 verse 12? 1 John chapter 2 verse 20. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. As for you, the anointing you have received from Him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as His anointing teaches you about all things, And as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. Matthew chapter 10 verse 8, Jesus said, Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. And what is it that we've received? The wonderful name of Jesus, that we may give the name of Jesus to the world by which they may be saved, and all the treasures that are wrapped up in the wonderful name of Jesus. What an amazing privilege it is to share the name of Jesus from the scriptures. If you're like me, this episode on the name of Jesus is so powerful. It's crucial for us to continue studying and meditating on the truths concerning the name so that faith in the name of Jesus will dominate our hearts and minds. Only then will we see the results of what the name can produce in the world today as it did for the early church. Stay with us for the next episode as we go into the subject of the authority of the believer and spiritual warfare. I highly encourage you to continue listening to the Word of Life study series podcast and encourage your friends to tune in as well. 
The scriptures encourage us in Acts chapter 17, verse 11, to receive the message with great eagerness and to examine the scriptures every day in order to confirm the truth that you're hearing. God's word is our final authority for all matters that pertain to life and godliness. I'd like to close this episode by praying over you according to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparable great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when God raised him from the dead and seated him at his own right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. And in chapter 2, verse 6, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Be blessed and see you soon.